Tennessee Valley. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today we've got a big announcement. Dr. Lois Weiner talks about the multi-front wars on education. The four-month USW paper mill lockout comes to an end. Faith leaders rally around Alabama's coal miners. All that and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the show today, we've got a phone number. The line is not open because we've got such a packed show, but we are still going to be taking text messages You can send us a text message. Uh, You can leave us a chat on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, So there's still definitely ways to to get your voice heard during the program. Just not going to be taking live calls because we have a packed show. A packed show. Uh, That phone number that you can send a text to is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also leave a voicemail throughout the week. We always take those. So if you're listening to one of our videos on YouTube at 2 or 3 in the morning and you just want to, you know, let us know a bad boss story or an organizing win or you just want to tell us off, you can call us. It's not going to wake me up. I don't care. You'll leave me a voicemail, and I'll get to it when I get to it, okay? And we might play it on the next program. So definitely consider that. The phone number is 844-899-8857. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, um, you know, we do some other stuff throughout the week. We talk to folks. We have takes Sometimes uh, we'll write articles for other organizations, for other media outlets, um, and so and, and sometimes uh, you know most of the time we try to plug stuff whenever we write for other people, but uh, we forget too. So um, if you want to keep up to date with us, uh, you can find us online. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, uh, TikTok, all at the Valley Labor Report. Uh, Just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. So if you want to become a sustaining member of the program, make a one-time donation, buy our hat, or anything like that, you can go to our website. That's tvlr.fm. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash thevalleylaborreport. If you're a member of a union, then definitely think about getting your local to sponsor the show. You can reach out to me for more details on that. Um, and, uh, so, you know, 
we are going to go ahead and and we're going to start the show off with our announcement. Um, and we're pretty excited about it. You know, I think that we are uh, doing a pretty cool thing here on the Valley Labor Report, and we want to expand it. Uh, we we have um, we've been in conversation with folks. We've been having business meetings um, internally to the program, and we've been having conversations with folks uh, outside of the program, people who might could fund an expansion of the project. No, I think that we are. And so we are, um, and so we're going to, we're going to talk to you about that. We're going to, you know, be, you know, I, I, we're always super transparent about stuff and, um, you know, I don't see any, any need to hide anything. Um, and, and so I want to bring y'all into it and, and just to start off with, you know, I think for us, the, and, and well, first, before we start off with that. This is going to be a pitch for donations, um, a pitch for donations from yourself, from your locals, uh, from your organizations, everything like that. You know, so I, you know, up front, that's what this segment is going to be. But, you know, the the big pic uh, and, and the plan is we're going to take you through our big picture goals for the project for the Valley Labor Report. We're going to take you through our current state. We're going to take you through some of the next steps our timelines and what it's going to take to get there, what we think it's going to take to get there. So, you know, big picture, you know, pie in the sky dreams, uh, uh, you know, the reason that we started the project is that we reckon uh, workers in the South need media built for them and by them. Uh, media that reports on issues of importance to us, lifts up our stories, analyzes news from a worker's perspective. We want media projects that care about organization and collective power and serves as a hub for communal education. And, uh, you know, there are uh, lots of projects that do a really good job of that. I'm thinking in particular of the Real News Network. They do great reporting on issues that, you know, the mainstream media is just not really talking about. Labor Notes serves as that organizational and educational hub as well as a reporting project. And we want to obviously partner with, continue partnering with those, with those projects, but we want to in particular, focus on the South, because I think that the South does get left out of a lot of stories and narratives and, and you know, uh, uh, especially, you know, on the electoral side. People just leave us out of the calculus. Um, and, you know, we're a big part of the country, and uh, there's definitely some unique things, uh, unique issues that we face, and uh, also unique opportunities that we have here, we think. We think that we can be that here at the Valley Labor Report, and the only way to make that happen is to take the next step from a once-weekly radio program to something else, uh, to something a little bit more than that. Uh, before we take that next step, though, we want to talk about where we are, uh, talk to you about what we do. Uh, you know, some people only see us on one, uh, uh, you know, in one outlet. And so we want to explain to you the scope of the project as it sits, our budget and, and you know, all, all of this stuff. And so the first thing is, is the content. The only new stuff that we put out every week is a, our weekly live stream. We have three hours that is new content every week that we put out Um some of this is going to be news aggregation. Occasionally, we'll have some original reporting, you know, um, and, and generally when we do that, we will be 
recycling reported pieces that we've done for other outlets. You know, I've reported on uh, the paper mill lockout, for instance, for both the Alabama Political Reporter and the Real News Network. Um, but that's uh, as far as the project goes. That's uh, the the big thing is we've got this three hour live stream on YouTube and Facebook, and then we put it out on uh, a half of that program out on the radio. Uh, we turn this three hour live stream into two one and a half hour podcasts that we distribute on all the different podcasting apps and all this. Uh, we turn it into 12 long form videos every week on YouTube and Facebook, and we make six to 12 short form videos on TikTok and YouTube. Um, and so with all of this stuff, we reckon that our reach right now is online. We're hitting with every, we, we figure that we're, we're hitting with every, you know, minute of the program gets three to 500 people um, listening to it online, just online, which is, you know, that's, that's not bad for, you know, something that we're, that we're doing mostly as a labor of love, right? Uh, we do have some people getting paid now, but um, the, the majority of the labor that goes into this is, is unpaid. Uh, and then we're on three terrestrial radio stations. We're on WVN in Huntsville, WZZA in Muscle Shoals, and WHIV in New Orleans. And we figure that uh, those three stations combined, we're pulling about 10,000 listeners or something on, on the radio. Obviously, that that audience is going to be a bit more transient, not as you know interested in the project per se, but they just happen to be listening to us. Uh, and we've gotten some good feedback on that. Our budget is, uh, and you know, so, so I, I was on a Dell show at one point, and he said something to me about, you know, um, how he's, uh, you know, help help the the WVNN has helped the show, and you know, it it has certainly, um, and and I mentioned on the show that we also write him a check every month, right? Duh, we write Cumulus a check every month, and you know, um, and, and he texted me later. He's like, "I didn't mean to out you," and I'm like, "I don't know. It's not a secret, right? It's not. You know, we're not we're not weird about uh, the the money that we that we spend or take in." And so, uh, we spend six hundred dollars a month to be on WZZA. We spend nine hundred dollars a month to be on Cumulus. We pay a hundred bucks a month for our website. We pay Joe, who is our post production. Um, video guy. We pay him about $550 a month. Uh, we pay to rent Spice Radio Studios. We pay them about $360 a month. And we pay uh, uh, Jeff Michaels, who does our board op for us on uh, uh, back in Athens on WVNN. We pay him about $120 a month. Um, depending on how many times he board ops for us. Uh, and then we have several sponsors, including listener support. And uh, the latest that we've got right now is that we are spending $2,660 and we are bringing in $2,571. So we are, the last month, we were like 90 bucks in the red uh, but it's not a big deal because the months before that we were a little bit in the green. We had a we had a surplus of uh, of in one month. I think in November we had like five hundred six hundred dollars over how much we spent. So you know it, it kind of fluctuates. But that's where we're at right now, um, in terms of the budget. And you know I think that we're doing a pretty good job for uh, you know I think that we're putting out a good bit of stuff, interesting stuff for the budget that we have. And so what we want to do to...
take us to the next level, to bring us, uh, you know, to expand the project is uh, uh, we've got several ideas that we want to start doing and we want to continue, obviously, doing the three hour live stream on Saturday. Uh, we are going to be doing a new live stream uh, once a week that's going to be um, that is going to be explicitly about uh, labor education and um, and history. Labor history and labor education that's going to be Adam's project that he's going to do as a solo stream every week. Um, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, you know, it's not going to be a newsy thing. It is going to be explicitly labor history and labor education. So think, you know, what happened in the 1979 Walker County te teacher strike in Alabama? Or, um, you know, steward trainings. You know, how do you handle filing a grievance? Or um, how do you handle representing yourself? Uh, how do you rep handle representing your coworkers? Or how do you handle forming a committee in your, in your workplace? All this stuff. Um, so, and then we're going to continue with a three hour live stream, turning that into two, one and a half hour podcasts. We're also obviously going to put that, uh, news live stream up as a podcast as well. We're going to continue with the long form videos on YouTube and Facebook. We're going to begin writing up these videos, writing up articles about some of these videos and putting them on our website. We want to utilize our website a lot more in the coming year. Um, and so, and also writing up our segments as, and putting them out there as articles, adding some additional context, um, adding some additional graphics for, uh, for, you know, written form stuff. Uh, I think that that will, will also help the content travel more, you know, because there's a certain audience that watches YouTube videos or Facebook videos. And then there's a, a different, much broader audience that will read articles. So, uh, and it also opens up another avenue for sponsorships, right? Uh, we are going to begin doing uh, one to two original reported pieces per week. That's going to be the goal once we begin this expansion. Um, and that is, has always been something that, that, that we've been interested in is building up our reporting apparatus, our ability to, to do actual original reporting as opposed to commentary and analysis. There's a lot of commentary and analysis stuff out there, uh, regurgitation of things that other people have already reported on with a new spin, and that's fine, but... A lot of people are already doing that, and so we wanted we want to contribute to the ecosystem of original reporting, uh, and we're going to be doing that with Adam doing some original reporting, and we're going to be uh, looking to hire freelancers to report for us. This is going to go on our website, and we'll also be uh, you know relaying it on our program. Uh, we're going to be distributing these write-ups of the articles and the original reporting on uh, to local news stations and the Alabama Political Reporter. We've had conversations with Josh Moon at the Alabama Political Reporter. He said that preliminarily they would have some interest in that, and he thinks that it's it's pretty likely that we'd be able to distribute, to syndicate some of the stuff to local news stations. He seemed pretty bullish on that. I think Adam is maybe a bit more bearish, but we'll see. And if we can distribute, syndicate some of this original reporting, 
in some of these interviews uh, to local news stations that'll greatly uh, increase our our you know the people that are actually seeing our stuff. Uh, we want to search out some two minute labor report hits on local news as well. Uh, you know, uh, just a quick segment where you know regularly, like every Friday or something, we're getting on a local news station to talk about what happened last week in labor in Alabama. Um, and we want to do uh, newsletters, regular newsletters, um, every time we release new content um, and, and start, start you know, just doing, a, a, doing more outreach via email. We want to, uh, and so to do this, this is going to cost money, right? This is going to cost more money. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that budget. Right. And, and one thing I'll add that, um, that we're very much interested in is expanding our reach on radio. Um, yes. I know we had a comment in the chat already. It's nice to be on old school AM radio. So we actually are going to be looking at additional radio stations, um, including, you know, outside of our geographic footprint right now. Uh, there's a few areas of the state that we'd love to uh, tap into. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, and to do this, <clears throat> and yeah, in the chat, uh, um, the link to donate is on our website, and you can do that directly at tvlr.fm slash donate, but we're gonna, we've set up a, uh, a particular fundraiser for this as well, and we'll We'll drop that here in just a second. But um, so to do this, this is obviously going to uh, cost money. And one of the things that we wanted to do is bring everybody's hourly wage up a little bit, the people that are already working for us. Um, right now, everybody that works for us, that's going to be Joe and Jeff, uh, we pay them $15 an hour. Um, and Adam and Spencer, uh, Spencer does our post-production audio stuff, our audio stuff, like our, our radio affiliates. He sends our stuff to them. He puts the stuff out on a podcast and all this good stuff. Uh, Adam, Spencer, and myself, we all volunteer our time. So uh, I am going to remain volunteering my time because I have, uh, I think, you know, my financial, my, my job pays pays the most and so I don't I have the least need to actually be paid for my work here um and also uh after this expansion I'll be doing less work uh as it relates to other people so obviously uh some of the costs are going to remain the same not going to be increasing our expenditures to WZZA or to Cumulus or for the website, uh, but we are going to be increasing our hourly wage to $20 an hour for Joe and Jeff, as well as begin paying Spencer $20 an hour and begin paying Adam $20 an hour for uh, 20 hours of work every week. We'll be bringing on Adam halftime to begin, uh, you know, doing this expanded stuff, uh, getting, you know, more original reported pieces out, um, search out for more places to syndicate the program. Uh, we also wanted to increase our contribution to Spice Radio since they've been a uh, such a good partner with us. And we're also going to be bringing on Tahira um, at $125 a week to do, um, to do our accounting type stuff, uh, to do our books for us. Because I hate, I hate doing the books. It's my least favorite thing. And so with all of those new expenses, that's going to bring our total to $5,515 a month uh, with and with our current revenue, the current amount we're bringing in at $2,500 a month, that would that, that means we're about $3,000 a month short of where we need to be to be able to do this expansion. 
So then how do we want to do it? Well, so here's our timeline. We want to, uh, in February, crowdfund $4,000. That's the goal for February. Um, and so... To, and, and so you can donate to that fundraiser at tvlr.fm slash expand. tvlr.fm slash expand. Um, and so we're going to be plugging this every program during February, trying to get that uh, uh, $4,000. And with that $4,000, we will begin implementing the new budget in March. We'll increase the pay rates. We'll begin paying Spencer and Adam. Adam is going to increase his workload for the program. And uh, during from February to the end of March, we will be looking for new sponsors. We're already in talks with uh, some other unions. Um, the Alabama AFL-CIO, I've been talking to them about coming on as a sponsor, uh, writing us a you know um, some more money, giving us some more money. And uh, we're talking uh, with know, lots of folks right talking, now. Talking, yeah, talking with lots of folks, and we think that uh, we think that we'll be able to do it. I, I am very bullish about our ability to increase our um, to increase our operating revenue, our operating income uh, by three or four thousand dollars. Especially with Adam, I mean, Adam will be like tripling his time on the program, uh, his time spent doing TVLR work, right? Because he had he had because he, he hasn't been able to do as much uh, 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 as he will be once we're paying him to do this right it's obviously going to free up a lot of his time um, and so I'm very bullish about this I'm very excited about it so if you want to uh, support us as an individual go to tvlr.fm/expand tvlr.fm/expand donate to the program that way. If you're in a union and uh, y'all haven't sponsored the show yet, uh, but you think that it's worth it, definitely consider doing that because we are going to be putting out more stuff. We're going to be on uh, getting reaching more people uh, with the new sponsors, uh, with the new partnerships that we're going to be getting. So um, definitely consider doing that. Um, and if your local sponsoring the show already, then maybe your international can also start sponsoring the show, right? Um, anything that you can do to help greatly appreciated uh would be greatly appreciated so so yeah that's the plan um want to be very transparent about that and uh uh that's how much money it's going to take for us to do this and this is uh uh you know this is this is the timeline that we've got um we've uh so so we're really excited about this share it with people that you think might be interested in in donating organizations that you think may, might be interested in donating coming on as a sponsor so um so yeah, yeah. That's it. That's I, I just want to say yeah, <laughs> I really appreciate everyone who has supported this program thus far. Um, you know, we are a fairly small program by most metrics, but I think we've been able to punch far above our weight in terms of the caliber of guests we've had on this show, in terms of the money we've raised for strike funds, um, in terms of in-person you know training provided to members at the Alabama Troublemaker School and things of that nature. So. You know, we're we're trying to grow this Alabama labor movement, and to do that requires a press and a media uh, that is by and for and of working class people here in Alabama and across the South. And you know, if you if you if you value that like we do, uh, and there's anything you can do to help, we really appreciate it. We recognize that uh, you know times are tough for a lot of us. Uh, we're working class people, so we don't have a lot of expendable income. So 
you know, financial contributions may not be possible for you. Uh, believe me, I understand. There are so many causes that I want to donate to that I just simply can't afford to. Uh, but if you can uh, spread the word, good old fashioned word of mouth, uh, social media, however you can spread the word and let folks know what we're trying to do uh, and, you know, how folks can contribute. We really appreciate it. Yep. And uh, so with that, uh, with that, just one more time, tvlr.fm slash expand is where you can is where you can donate to that fundraiser. And we'll be sending out an email. Uh, if you're not on our email list already, then um, get on that by going to tvlr.fm slash contact, and you'll be added to our email list. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get into the show going to go ahead and get into the meat of the show and we will start with last week in southern labor that's a segment that we do every week mostly where we tell you what happened in the labor movement in the south we pull the information from jonah Furman's newsletter who gets the bird which compiles all of this information for the entire united states so if you want to see what's going on outside of the south then subscribe to that newsletter that's going to be at who gets the bird.substack.com and with that let's jump into new organizing for the week of january 22nd to the 29th a uh, friend of the newsletter dave infante over at fingers wrote about the independent brewing union of georgia that was born in athens georgia earlier this year definitely worth checking that article out 155 workers for find help which helps connect people with social services based in austin texas are organizing with opeiu local 1010 100 workers who make air conditioners for Carrier in Charlotte, North Carolina, are organizing with UA Local 421. 68 utility workers for Duke Energy in Charlotte, North Carolina, are organizing with IBEW Local 962. Six telehealth nurses at D.C.'s Shepherd Park Children's National are joining the National Nurses Union, uh, the D.C. Nurses Association. In election wins for the last week, around 100 workers at a third Trader Joe's, this time in Louisville, Kentucky, voted to join the independent Trader Joe's United Union 48 to 36. Five subcontracted workers who manage the FBI headquarters fleet of cars in D.C. voted 3-0 to zero to join the Operating Engineers Local 99. In updates on strikes and bargaining, the ATU Local 689 transit workers remain on the picket line in Loudoun County, Virginia against French subcontractor Keolis and are taking the picket line to the French Embassy in D.C. We're going to have more about that in overtime as we talked to as we talk to former ATU Organizing Director Chris Townsend. Luis Felice Leon wrote for Labor Notes about the non-union restaurant strike at Twin Peaks in Brentwood, Tennessee, where both front and back of house workers have walked off in protest of particularly egregious harassment from management. In Florida, the Sixth Union Service Trades Council Union has officially recommended its 45,000 members vote no on what Disney says is its best offer, and they just voted and membership yesterday, membership yesterday on February the 3rd, voted down the contract offer from Disney by 96%. 96% voted no. Uh, so... Uh, you know, huge, huge numbers there. 
500 Charlotte, North Carolina bus drivers with Smart, Local 1715, who set a strike date earlier this month, apparently now have a tentative agreement. TWU Local 550 dispatchers at Southwest Airlines have a tentative agreement, and 8,000 airline mechanic Teamsters at United Airlines have ratified a deal. In Orlando, Florida, convention center workers for mega contractor Sodexo with Unite Here Local 737 ratified a contract after authorizing a strike and notably won a similar wage increase as the union is fighting for at nearby Disney, that wage increase being $5 an hour added to the base wage over three years. And uh, that's going to be it for last week in Southern Labor this week. Make sure that you check out Jonah Furman's newsletter. We're going to go ahead and head to our first break. On the other side of the break, we are going to be talking to Dr. Lois Weiner about the multi-front wars on education. So make sure you stay tuned. We will be right back. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. 
Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAT. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. And you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison and my co-host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, you can send us a text message. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. We did get a text from Infinite Content uh, saying that we should keep our eyes on this one. It might be too late to consider for the main show. Uh, And that is true. It's an update on the Teamsters uh, labor fight. But there is a good podcast called The Upsurge with Teddy Ostro that you should check out. That is going to be a podcast dedicated entirely to the union uh, contract fight at UPS. So definitely consider checking that out we appreciate the um uh we appreciate the donations that have been coming in we got a super chat from ron m saying appreciate what you do thank you very much and we got a super chat from strom mccallum saying solidarity from south carolina uh every little bit helps patrick link in the chat says um sent you 20 retail made dollars from gunnersville so uh that is uh will We'll take uh, take it from anywhere, absolutely. Uh, I have spent a lot of time in Gunnersville. Spent a lot of time in Gunnersville. So appreciate that. Appreciate, uh, uh, appreciate all the support um, in any ways, whether financial or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so Adam, you know, uh, we, our first guest on the program, we're going to be talking about education. So, um you know, this is really kind of, this is definitely your beat more so than mine. So uh, why don't you start us off with, you know, where where, where we're at and uh, what we're going to be talking to our guests with, about. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so we've seen a lot of discussion lately in right-wing media and among Republican officials about school choice. They even have a little school choice week. <clears throat> We know that warring with public schools and universities and the unions representing those workers appears to be a key component of Ron DeSantis's presidential campaign. It's uh, been in the news quite a bit lately, you know, and we expect political attacks on public education in Alabama to ramp up. And it's important that educators alongside the working class families that are served by public schools, it's important they be informed and they be organized to face these threats ahead. And one thing that I want to acknowledge is that we know public schools have their challenges and their flaws. We know there are legitimate problems to be solved, but the solutions won't come from the very same corporate and reactionary forces who've played a major role in causing these problems in the first place. We're asked to believe that introducing more profiteering off our children will somehow result in less corruption and better quality. But the evidence, of course, says otherwise. 
I want to be really clear that the school choice push is not about what's best for kids. It's about money, and it's about reactionary segregationist ideology. The alternative is that we demand great public schools for every child, in every family, in every community. It's not just about your family or my family. It's about the public as a whole. So with that preamble out of the way, uh, really excited to bring Dr. Lois Weiner on the show. She is a longtime educator, activist, and scholar. She's the author of regular articles and multiple books specializing in urban teacher education and teacher unionism, all with a commitment to social justice and to the rank and file. I believe every educator and ally should be reading her stuff because of her sharp analysis of the intersection of labor and public schools. Dr. Weiner, thanks for taking the time to join us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. So, you know, we, Adam talked about this, this preamble and, and, uh, you know, we've been tracking a lot of fights in education, uh, particularly around vouchers and privatization and, and, and things like that. And I do want to, you know, we definitely want to circle back to that conversation with you because I think that you've got, we think that you've got really interesting things to say about that. But the reason that we brought you on today is to talk about your recent piece for Truth Out, uh, Labor and Education Activists Must Challenge Private Tech. And, you know, fighting technology was really not on my radar. You know, everybody's, you know, everybody mm. touts technology as like this big, great thing, you know, iPads in schools and stuff like this. And so uh, what what have I been missing here? Well, you're not the only one who's been missing it, I have to say, so you can't beat yourself up. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate it. But I, I have to start off by saying that Adam's introduction, Adam's remarks were so great, I almost feel like I'm superfluous. So I'm really glad that you started off with that question. Um, and I'll use your term circle back. But before I do that, I have to tell you, your show is so great. And it's so important. And I really do hope that people donate because I don't think that we can really revive the labor movement in this country unless we organize the South. We mm. must organize the South. That's not an original idea of mine. Stanley Aronowitz talked about it, I mm. think, brilliantly and completely in um, almost everything that he wrote. And of course, to organize the South, we have to deal with racism and social justice um, because the two are um, connected. And the other thing I want to say is that, you know, this, this vernacular about um, this language about school choice, it's really important to understand that it, it, it echoes, it echoes the same lies in the term right to work. Mm. What does right to work mean? Right to work means the right to work for slave wages under conditions that the wealthy and the powerful and the boss set for us. What's school choice about? The choice of attending any school that billionaires, wealthy elites, and the people who I'll call the work, the ruling class determine is what we should have for an education. And the reason education is so is so much in the news. And the reason the attacks on public education and teachers and teachers unions is so powerful um, is that, you know, number one, 
education in every society is the way we reproduce the society. We either reproduce everything that's crummy about it, or we reproduce what's good. To reproduce what's good, it means that we have to disrupt things in the present system of public education. And it, it is that disruption of inequality and injustice that the right wants to end. That's what these attacks on public education and teachers and teachers unions are about. So there's no separating the so-called culture wars from the privatization of public education. And it is shocking and shameful that the leadership of both teachers unions has not made that connection between the privatization and the profiteering, the inroads of the ruling class, their control of policy or their influence in policy in both political parties. It's just a disgrace that the leadership of both unions have not made that connection. And they allow the right to separate, they allow DeSantis mm. to separate the culture wars, his attack on transgender youth, on the most vulnerable, the rollback of all the gains that the disability rights movement, not to speak about gender equity, reproductive freedom, right, and racism. There is absolutely no separating those. And a great article by Maurice Cunningham in the National, um, uh, uh, um, in the NPE newsletter um, that uh, I tweeted it. Uh, he just makes that connection. These parent groups are being funded by the far right. Why have our unions not been talking about that, right? These mm. are astroturf groups. Okay, now that I've now that I've said that, let me let me go back to what well, people well, are not you know, talking. Well, no, a a absolutely. And, and while while you're talking about that, I, I mean, there it, it's. I I don't follow. I'll take your word for it about the the teachers unions. They're not making this connection. I don't follow them as as much as you and Adam do. But but the connection is not difficult to make. I mean, <laughs> any of these, especially now. I mean, maybe at the beginning there was there was this faux distinction between these movements. But any time, any time, you just have one of these videos of. Uh, you know, in some cases, it's just a video of a teacher who is gay, right? And that's the extent of the controversy in the video. And then sometimes, you know, you have teachers who are just people who are just workers saying like weird things or, you know, things that are maybe not exactly the way that they ought to be said or, or something or, or they're going outside of the curriculum. And, you know, I'm, I'm not opposed to saying that you know, there are times when people make mistakes and people do things that they shouldn't be doing, and that's fine. But every time that one of these videos crops up, every time, in the comment sections is full, the quote tweets are full with school choice now, school choice now, school choice now, which is just right. privatization. It's just taking money from the public and it, funneling it into these more, private it's systems. It's more, Jacob. Jacob, it's more, and we have to say that it's more. It's not just a matter of profit. It's also mm. a matter of ideological control. Right. And it's a matter of controlling what's taught, what's learned, and teachers work. That's what I'm talking about with the reproduction mm -hmm. of the society. And the, um, the technology piece fits into that. The reason it's important to understand, it's not just about money. Of course, in the last analysis, not in the last 
in the in the broad analysis, what the unions are missing that you just described is a class analysis, which neither union talks about. They don't talk about the working class. Right. The only people who talk about the the unions don't talk about the working class. Right. Um, Right. The Democratic Party certainly won't talk about the working class because it's looking to get suburban um, middle class voters to support them. But the unions should be talking about the working class. The union should also be talking about capitalism, which is something that everybody does but the unions. Only the unions don't talk about capitalism. Isn't that peculiar? Right. Interesting? <laughs> right. Right. They're afraid to talk about capitalism. Right. So, and what's interesting to me is that when Sanders talked about capitalism, he was very appealing and he talked about the working class. He made inroads into mm. these, into these, these, um, into a demographic that the union, that the Democratic Party actually wrote off, right? Which is uh, white workers, um, people with uh, less than a college education. Okay. But to get to your now to get to my what my most recent work has been, and I'm so glad you've asked me because I I feel, I feel sort of like uh, Cassandra about this, and I don't think it's too late for us to do something about it. But we're they've already made the 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 ruling class has already made extraordinarily powerful inroads in changing teachers' work. And they did that through standardized testing. Mm -hmm. And um, you, you can't separate the, you know, back 15 years ago, you, we, in education, we heard about data-driven decisions, evidence-based education, right? The question is always, whose evidence? What questions are you using? Who's making the decisions? about what evidence, right? And the, the origin, the origin, although the rationale for standardized testing has always been equalizing educational opportunity. That was the rationale when standardized testing was first introduced in the Johnson era reforms, the war on poverty, right? But that rationale was exploited for very different usage and for very different purposes. During the um, Obama administration in particular. And that rationale about equalizing educational opportunity was used to support standard, the use of standardized tests to control everything everything in education, including standards. And if you look at where the standards come from, that the schools that the standardized tests are based on that are used in this country, no parents, no teachers, not nobody, students, nobody was involved in developing those standards that are that the evidence that, that people are, are judged on in the standardized tests, the curricula, right? Nobody. Those standards were were developed by international finance organizations like the OECD and the World Bank, and a lot has been written on that. And I that's that's like volumes have been written 
it's not a conspiracy theory. It's fact. Right, right. The standards are used globally. They're globally, and it's about international competition. International competition to have a workforce that can compete in the 21st century. So as soon as you see that rationale, you know that what's going on is education, control of the education of workers and of work. Now we come to information technology. What's the role of, of information technology in what's its relationship to work? Well, its relationship to work is that it's transforming work. It's altering who does what and how, right? It's impoverishing. The way information technology has been used, take the algorithms that are used for food delivery, the algorithms that are used for Uber drivers, the algorithms that are used for in almost every occupation, right? To determine what your, um, what your job is, mm -hmm. you know, right? Working class jobs, not even just in working class jobs. So just the last, just since the beginning of the year, there have been so many articles about AI. Have you noticed that? Mm. Oh, yeah. Right? Why all of a sudden all these articles about AI? I mean, information technology has been altering work for the last 15 years. And it's also altered education. Teachers, since before the pandemic, have been using software and platforms controlled by ed tech companies. It's privatized. The control of our curriculum and of their work has been privatized. Teachers have been using assessments, supposedly of kids' social and emotional learning, right, on platforms filling out assessments of kids at recess. Now, what happens to that data? Number one, that data follows the kids. There are no controls on, on what happens to that data in terms of following the kids or their parents. There are inadequate controls, almost no or inadequate controls on that data being sold, bought and used. And every day we see in the papers, if you read the business sections, especially, um, you see another expose about how data has been misused. I just saw something about a health app being sued <clears throat> uh, belatedly. I wanna point out that the World Development Report of two years ago talked about the need for capitalism to start policing, better policing the use of data. So these exposés about how our data has been used uh, without our knowing it and the imposition of what seem to be con privacy controls has to be understood as capitalism understanding that they have to act like they really care about what happens to us. But in fact, while these significant but not life-altering or work-altering exposés are occurring, what's happening at the same time, at the very moment, 
is the explosion of the use of AI. Now, AI is already being used in test preparation. Let's think about what that means in teaching, where all of most of teaching is now test preparation because standardized tests drive the curriculum. What does that mean? What that means is that a future has been prepared for us in which neither teachers, students, parents, nor even elected government officials control what is taught or how. Mm. It is an effort, it is an effort to alter, completely change teachers' work. Completely change teachers' work. The curriculum will be set by these international authorities. Teachers will use, to some extent, platforms that have been created for them, right? And students will learn how to compete for jobs in an economy and in workplaces that the boss controls with things like AI. Right. Right. I mean, it's like getting them ready because so much of this is like getting you ready for the workforce. And, and, and I'm glad you mentioned in terms of the algorithms and how that's affecting working people uh, because it's, you're seeing a lot of the same trends filtering down into the schools not just for the educators themselves, but for the students and, and the it's way the they're Amazon being taught. It's the Amazon warehouses. Right. It's the Amazon warehouses, right? right. Their work is not, they don't control. Uh, it's like the, the, the speed of the assembly line, right? The, the, having somebody actually control these, the assembly line is now actually, that has been replaced with algorithms and surveillance. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's the surveillance of technology. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that, you know, I, I'm glad you you incorporated that because public education is facing attacks and challenges from so many multiple directions. And we have to connect those dots and we can't leave the technology piece out of the puzzle. Right. That's a very important piece of the puzzle uh, that fits in to this broader picture of control, of decision-making. Um, and one thing that I really loved about the way you opened that article is uh, commenting on the fact that conventional wisdom has been, accept it's been accepted as conventional wisdom by, by, unfortunately, too many educators, but certainly by most politicians and others, that the education of children is to prepare them for the workforce. Right. College and career readiness. That's all we ever hear about. And there is something just to me very sad that we have abandoned the humanistic ideals that was behind, you know, the, the push for public education in this country in the first place. That there is an idea that we, the public, benefit from having an educated public and we as the public see a benefit in investing in young people that they can realize their potential and, and receive a holistic education uh, so that they can live up to that potential, whatever that may be. And it has just 
over the years, you know, it has just slowly but slowly morphed into it is career prep, it is workforce prep, uh, and of course, for most working class people, these are the experiences you're getting prepared for, right? The Amazon warehouse worker experience. So I, I really, I really appreciate you putting that out there. Um, I wanted to to ask a little bit about some of the other threats to public schools and how they fit into that. Uh, a couple of things you mentioned would be voucher programs and then the wars around curriculum. And I'm so glad you emphasized earlier that this is not like a separate arena of culture war over here and then privatization over there. The two are so linked together. Uh, so I don't know if you, you know, that's not much of a question really, but uh, if there's anything you want to kind of expand on that, how how does some of these other attacks I, I on public schools fit it's, in? It's more than they're being linked. That's, I want to say it's frequently people say to me, well, how do we reconcile the union's, union's responsibility to defend workers' economic self-interest with these social justice issues? Right. And, um, My answer is they're the same project. Mm. They're the same project. The ruling class doesn't separate them. Right. They don't separate them. They manipulate. They manipulate anger, frustration, and fear about social change for their own end. And what is their end? Control of society and profit. That's their end. So they don't separate them. Why do we in the labor movement? Or why do we on the left? They're the same project. They're absolutely the same project. That's why I talked about the relationship between right to work and vouchers and school choice. Destroying public education. Destroying, it's not public education because Public education, if we understand public education as a system that's publicly funded and publicly controlled, that's what they want to destroy. But what is the public there? The public is democracy. Mm. And the original slogan of the AFT, John Dewey, was um, that we needed democracy in education and education for democracy. They want to destroy democracy because democracy is a threat. It's as simple as that. That's why the the their their claims about school choice um, and wanting every child to have uh, access to a quality education is just it's just orchestrated um, hypocrisy. That's what it is. It's orchestrated hypocrisy. Right. And, it's orchestrated hypocrisy. Now, what they will say in response is something that Adam actually alluded to. Well, you're defending a system that was bad to begin with, that um, uh, you're defending a system that um, never allowed equal educational opportunity. And I'm not defending that system. Right. I mean, I don't I think-, think there can be any return. There's no golden age to which we can return. And I think Adam, it was great that he started off by saying that. I don't want to return to the old, but you don't have the right to determine what our future is going to be. And that's the question. 
who determines our future? Who determines how we're gonna use technology? Who determines that? And I am not afraid to have working people involved in those decisions and involved in those discussions. In fact, I welcome it. I welcome it. And there's some people say, well, you know, some teachers say, well, we can't have parents involved. They don't know as much as we do. I don't think that's the case. I think that parents bring a kind of knowledge that we don't have. And the knowledge they have is of their children outside of school. And the knowledge they have is the community as they experience it. That doesn't mean the parents are right in everything that they want for their kids. But it does mean that our job as educators to be, is to be in conversation with parents and community and to not write them off as mm. deplorables or being captured by the churches. Or, because that means that people, if when we do that, that means that we're um, rejecting a central tenet of our profession which is that people are educable. Absolutely. People are educable. And the question is, how do we engage with them? And I think one of the best places for that engagement is in our role as teachers. But for that to happen, we have to look outside of our classrooms. We have to look outside of our classrooms. We cannot just shut the door. I just read a piece Someone asked me, well, how do you know about everything that's going on with technology? And the way I know is not by reading what people in education are saying. What I read is by, what I know is by reading the publications about education and ed tech that are put out by businesses. Mm -hmm. Boy, are they sophisticated. They are so much more sophisticated than the unions. I have to tell you, they, they, the the right and the neoliberals are so much more sophisticated than the unions. You know, they have this project called the Progressive Policy Institute, and they even sell merch at the Progressive Policy Institute. The Progressive Policy Institute is neoliberal. It self-identifies as neoliberal. So they've even usurped that term progressive, <laughs> right? right? Oh, my gosh. That's right. right. They've, well, they've you know, what, our language. Uh, we can't be afraid to say the truth. I think that's it. We can't be say, mm-hmm. afraid to say the truth. And we have to say, if you are giving recommend, recommendations about teaching and you are not looking outside of the classroom about what is happening in work, in work, then your recommendations are not ones that we should be taking. And that's what I say to all of these articles that are about how to use the chatbot and AI. I'm not reading. Don't read. Don't. It's not a matter of reading. Don't trust anybody who is not talking about the way AI is degrading work. Because we have to make our decisions and the reasons that AI is being used in the way that it is, not for our benefit, for theirs. Right. Of, of course, and and what you mentioned about uh, you know the business publications is such a is really such an important and and really unfortunate thing. Um, but it's it's something that many people have 
have mentioned that you know the, the the business you know if you go you go and you read the Wall Street Journal the business press type stuff uh, the their news sections are generally really good and, and sophisticated and accurate because uh, the the owning class needs to understand what's happening so that they can <laughs> so that you know they can make their decisions about how to you know fight working people right and I, I saw somebody I think maybe it was. Maybe it was Doug Henwood on, on Twitter say that you know you'll see a lot of vulgar Marxist analysis in in you know the business press and, and because uh, it, you know because that you know it's, it's pretty explanatory in a lot of instances, right? Well, you understand what they're thinking, right? You understand right. Your, what they're thinking, but the the other thing about reading these ed tech um, newsletters and magazines, I actually. Uh, posted on Facebook an article that was extraordinary about what their plans are. Uh, something under, not their plans, what's underway. And somebody went to try to read the report. And the report cost, to get a copy of the report cost $5,000. Wow. Now why? Who's their audience? It's not public school teachers. Right. It's not researchers like me, right? Who's their audience? People in Silicon Valley and Wall Street who want to know where to invest their money. Um, and we have to be looking at the way, we have to be looking at the way technology is transforming work and, and to understand what is going on in our classrooms and our work. That's, mm -hmm. that's just, that's it. And they're already, they've, the, the, the I, I once heard Ursula Hughes say, uh, she's a UK researcher who uh, does research for unions um, about use of uh, technology. And this is many years ago. She said, by the time the unions come to me and they say they want, to, they want, they want help, it's too late because mm. the project has already been done. The jobs have already been outsourced. There's nothing they can do to keep the project from proceeding. Now, I don't think we're there yet with AI. I don't think we're, we're there yet with AI, but I think what we wanna say to parents, unless you want your children to have a job that's being destroyed by technology, a job in which their bodies are gonna suffer because algorithms are gonna control the pace of work and because they're not gonna have any say in the conditions of their labor, you need to join with us. You need to join with us in stopping the standardized testing because this standardized testing is the root of their control. Now, what are we gonna say about equality? We're gonna say there are good measures of how to judge what kids are learning other than the standardized tests. They cost more money, they require professional judgment, and we need to have parents and community involved in our using them and disseminating the results. But Way Now has a new book about that. Now he talks about the alternatives to standardized testing as a means of assessment and evaluation. And we have to be talking about that in this discussion of learning loss. Hmm. That's what we have to talk about. What, what does that mean? 
what did they really lose? Right. Yeah, I've been I've been lose? wondering what did they lose exactly? Um, you know, you've kind of alluded to it a little bit uh, in terms of some of the maybe the lack of response from union leadership and uh, you know, you and I have talked before the show. I'm uh, certainly very familiar with <laughs> with union leadership not getting this um, and just, you know, they're not wanting to understand it, uh, but they're certainly not understanding it in, in many cases, the, the multi-front piece to this. Uh, how do you think rank-and-file educators are responding or maybe more appropriately should be responding? Uh, and you've spoken a little bit th- about this in terms of coalition with parents and students and communities, but uh, as we wrap up here, you know what, what's your what's kind of your final message maybe to Alabama educators? Because and I also want to say we're going to have to have you back on because I have a lot more I, I'd love to talk with you about. But um, you know, to any Alabama educators out there listening, do you have some some messages for them in terms of how they should respond? Well, I want to say not just Alabama educators, but people who care about what goes on in schools, right? And that means workers as well, whose kids are in school, not just teachers, Um, or people who work in schools. I think that we need to defend the dignity of our labor. Amen. And we, people go into teaching because they're looking to make a difference in the world. They want to make a difference, though, in by influencing individual kids' lives. And our capacity to do that is shrinking by the minute uh, because the conditions of our labor have been altered without our consent and without our involvement. And to me, that's our struggle. That's our our challenge and our professional obligation is to push back on the degradation of our work and the attack on the motives that we, on our ideals, as the, the our professional ideals. Um, and one of the best, one of the most potentially powerful means we have of doing that is by organizing as workers. And if the unions or the organizations that say they represent us are unwilling or unable to do that, then what we have to say and do is say, move over and let people who understand that we have to fight and that time is running out and that our kids and our profession matter, move over and let us do it. Amen. I think that's a great way, a great place to leave it. Yep. Thank you so much, Dr. Wander. Thank you for inviting me, and I'd love to come back. I think your work is great, and I'm going to write you a check. (laughs) You are so sweet. Well, thank you very much, much, and and I really enjoyed it, and we'll be in touch. Okay, very good. Bye-bye. We've got some great discussion in the chat ab- about uh, some of this, and uh, you know, one of the one of the things that um, that uh, uh, Free American Twenty Twenty in the chat mentioned is that um, 
our schools only fo- focused only on college and we harmed many kids. That's, you know, that, that's really going to what, Adam, you were saying about, you know, the, the college and workforce preparedness of school today uh, right and of course that yeah. depends on you know what family you're coming from and what neighborhood you're in right because right. there's some schools where uh there's a recognition that most of the kids who are coming from poverty are not going to college right so they are more explicit i believe in preparing them to go work in manufacturing and logistics and, and things of that nature uh but you're right i mean so many folks were, were pushed towards that um and that, you know, brings up other issues in terms of trade unions needing to be inside our schools mm. and talking to students about the opportunities they Absolutely. have there. There's a lot more we could dig in for sure, yep. for sure. Uh, but uh, really appreciate everybody tuning in and participating in the chat. And, uh, yeah, definitely enjoy talking with Lois. Uh, appreciate the $5 super chat from Infinite Content. Do not forget, uh, do not think I forgot about the groundhog slander you made this week. This means war with Pennsylvania. And absolutely, I am proud of the, uh, I'm, I'm proud of what we did. Did you have week. some hot takes online? Um, Is that what it was? Yeah, well, it was actually a, um, just a, a very, a very like an ice cold take because it is just objectively the correct take okay. to have on, on this issue, uh, and that is that uh, you know Punxsutawney, you know whatever I don't even know his name because it doesn't matter. Uh, he said that we're gonna have six more weeks of winter where uh, Sand Mountain Sam WAFF forty eight news reports a possum on Sand Mountain. Sand Mountain Sam uh, says he predicts an early spring, and so you know Phil has canceled Sound Mountain Sam. Sound Mountain Sam's day has come. Uh, Apod Latcha got on the program. Uh, you know they jumped on the bag bandwagon with us. All hail Sand Mountain Sam from Apod Latcha. So yeah, absolutely not afraid of the you know. And if it means more with Pennsylvania, you know that's fine. I don't care. Mm. I, I'm going to stay out of it. I mean, I love our possums now. I, I'm a fan absolutely. of possums. Uh, I do think they're pretty cool, uh, but I'm, I'm gonna stay out of it. We're gonna—I'll be the neutral party. I'll try right. to uh, intervene should you know tensions get too rough. <laughs> All right, folks, we're gonna go to a break. We will be right back. Not gonna be able to get to the—we're uh, uh, not gonna be able to get to the rest of the stories that we had in the main show, but we will talk about them all in overtime. On the other side, we're gonna make sure that we hit this uh, story about the resolution for the paper mill, yes. and then we'll get to the—we'll um, get to the the updates in the mine worker strike in overtime. So uh, we will be right back to round out the main show. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or dsanorthalabama at gmail for more information. 
Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.com. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. Alabama's only union talk radio show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, you can send us a text message. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. We also take, con- uh, we also take uh, uh, you know, we, we, we check out the chat, and if there's something, you know, particularly that we want to pull out, we will. And also, there's always lots of good conversation going on in the chat, just internal to the chat. So uh, definitely, if you watch on YouTube, or if you don't watch on YouTube, you might want to watch on YouTube. That way, you can participate in the chat. Um, Also wanted to uh, make sure that I read this, um, because we haven't got the ad into the... um, uh, into the rotation yet. I think we'll be able to get it into the rotation next week. Uh, that's the plan. But laborers, uh, the laborers local 366, the Laborers International Union of North America, local 366 is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you are interested in a job like that, then contact Donna at their training center to start the process. The phone number is 
256-415-7452. Again, that phone number is 256-415-7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered. You do have to be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good-paying jobs that have benefits is our mission. Live better. Work union. Local 366. Feel the power. All right, so we wanted to make sure uh, that we mention this. Uh, we have been covering pretty closely the lockout at the West Rock Paper Mill in Cottonton, Alabama. Uh, they have been locked out since October the 6th. You can go back and check out our coverage on our on our channel page if you want to see uh, see more in depth. But you know, basically, the gist of it is that they uh, they were too far apart. And so the workers there voted down the contract uh, that was offered by Westrock. And they said, no, we're not going to take this, even though, even though uh, Westrock was offering a $30,000 buyout of this language. Uh, so they were very motivated to get rid of this language. And the, the workers said no. The workers said, we want to keep this language. We, uh, you know, maybe this 30000 makes us whole uh, for this one contract period, but we know that you're not going to give us $30,000 in the next contract period, which is only three years away. And so, uh, you know, we can think a little bit more long-term than that. We are, uh, you know, we are intelligent actors, right? Um, Self-interested uh, in, in all of this. And so they said no. We're going to vote that down. We think you can do better in a year where, you know, immediately after Westrock had made more money than they ever had in the company's history. They made so much money uh, that if I recall correctly, the calculations were that if they just gave half of the profit to the workers, they could have given everybody a $30,000 bonus across all 50,000 global employees, right? Uh, with just half of the profit from 2021. I mean, it's just insane that they were trying to do this, uh, trying to, trying to take from these Alabama workers, what would amount to a 10% pay cut? Um, so it's just really, really, uh, gross behavior from this company. So the workers said no, and the company locked them out. Uh, the, uh, after voting on contracts four different times across this lockout, uh, they accepted the most recent offer last week. It was on January 31st, I believe is when they held their vote. Uh, and they did vote to accept it. They voted to accept this contract. Uh, and the contract, the difference between this contract and the last one is that, so on top of the like two or 3% raises that they were getting in the first contract, which is way below inflation, they got a $1.50 an hour raise across the board. Uh, they're also adding an additional 1% into the employee's 401k account. I think that they made some improvements on their health care instead of cuts or instead of saying the same, which is good, and they got a $7,500 one-time bonus. Um, WRBL reports that uh, local 971 president Bobby Watson uh, says that these... Um, that all of these taken together, all of these additions taken together approximately make up for the taking of the Sunday premium pay. Um, so, so that's good news. Um, you know, I think it, it, 
I think definitely. I know that Bobby was looking for more. I know that a lot of people were looking for more. Um, but taking on a multi-billion dollar international company as one paper mill in Alabama is just a really hard thing to do. Um, so I think that, you know, getting what they can and going back into work, um, it, you know, it's certainly not an irrational move on their part. Um, and, uh, uh, and you know I I'm hopeful, and I saw some some discussion in the comments when they announced this on their union's local page. Uh, you know there was there was some discussion about you know three years will be here before you know it. You know we want to make sure that we're ready uh, that we're ready next time to get what we left on the table. And so I do hope I do hope that they um, you know that that. There is a and and this is what Bobby was saying to me at one point when we when when we were talking over the course of this lockout that you know the Westrock meant this to you know really destroy the union and and break it up and um and that he feels like they're more the three locals in that mill are more unified than ever uh, that they're more um more militant than ever uh, more you know antagonistic towards the company than ever right um which is you know. Uh, which is ultimately going to be good for um, good for the union going forward in, in contract negotiations. I, I hope, I hope, and um, and you know, I hope that a lot of the that, that these folks will in the next round of, of contract negotiations they'll be able to do more uh, more planning and and more um, coordination between the other West Rock locals, right? Because that's what that's what it would actually that's what it would really take to. Uh, you know, bring the corporation to its knees is multiple mills going out on strike together, right? That's what it would take. Um, and so, uh, uh, so here's hoping, you know, they've got three years to prepare for the next round of contract negotiations. And I know that, uh, you know, um, there, there's there's going to be a lot of motivation there on, on their part uh, to do that. Uh, something that I want to do here in the next few months is get on the program some people that were involved in a lost paper strike in Maine in 1987 to talk about some lessons that they learned from that and um, and you know maybe lessons that. Uh, and, and, and obviously, obviously, talk to some of these paper mill workers in the coming months. I've got uh, that that real news piece that was going to be coming out that was going to be a little bit longer about the lockout. It's going to be transitioned into a like people's history of the Mart Mill lockout. Um, so you know, looking forward to that. They return to work on um, the 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 official return to work date hasn't been set. I think some I think they're going to stagger the return for people, um, and it's going to be towards the end of February. So. Uh, uh, so yeah, uh, very, you know, happy for these folks that they're going to be able to, to, to get back to work. I know that four, four and a half months without a paycheck is incredibly difficult and, um, you know, they showed a lot of courage and a lot of, a lot of fight and, and, and you know, they won some things, right? They won some things. And so, uh, so that's, that's really good to see. And uh, with that, you know, we're going to be wrapping up our time here on the radio. We have a lot of great stuff coming up for overtime. So make sure that if you're listening to us on the radio, you find us online on YouTube or Facebook uh, so that you can continue listening to the program. 
Um, we have a couple of plugs. You know, just don't forget uh, the UMWA folks are still on strike. You can support them at paypal.me slash UMWA strike pantry. Uh, the Alabama Arise and Color Cover Alabama are hosting an online advocacy training on how to talk to your legislators. That training is going to be February 7th from 5.30 to 6.45 p.m. So go to their websites, Alabama Arise or Cover Alabama online to register. Looks like a really great panel with Akeisha Anderson. Anderson, she's the Alabama Arise Policy and Advocacy Director, Debbie Smith, and David Stout. Labor Notes has some February workshops, so go to labornotes.org to check that out. And uh, and go ahead and, and, and make sure you stay with us for overtime. We are going to be uh, reacting to a Labor Day message that Stephen Crowder had a few years ago, comparing it to his current stance on contracts. We're going to be talking to Julia Rock about a recent piece in The Lever about the National Restaurant Association. We're going to be talking to Chris Townsend, former international organizing director for the Amalgamated Transit Union about the Keola strike in Virginia. Lots of great stuff that we're going to be going over in overtime, so make sure that you stay tuned. Uh, all power to the workers.